I'm not very supportive of myself. My expert today tells us that's not unusual, but it still feels bad. Luckily, we're also going to learn the ways to fix this shortcoming. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast, a show that acknowledges no one is always an expert by dispelling misconceptions with real experts. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is Julie Potaker. Julie is a mindful self-compassion coach, meditation coach, and author, among other things. She's here to share with everyone easy ways to get out of your funk and find a kinder version of yourself. Let's be nicer to ourselves. Welcome to the show, Julie Potaker. So happy to be here. Thanks so much. Yes, thank you so much for coming on the show. Why don't you introduce yourself for the audience? Well, hello, audience. Um, I'm a mindful self-compassion teacher. I'm an author. I do a lot of content creating, run workshops, have written a few books, and have recently started writing poetry. Wow, that is a lot of things to just start (laughs) doing. Yeah, it's a really cool midlife thing. What got you into all of this? Um, Well, what got me into the whole personal growth thing and mindfulness thing was really difficult parenting. I had the wrong words coming out of my mouth, and I went to a neurologist, and he recommended mindfulness-based stress reduction, which is a fabulous, like, the the basic class that John Kabat-Zinn created in 1979 at the hospital pain clinic at University of Massachusetts. So I took that class in San Diego, and the brain science was really interesting to me. I'm a recovering attorney, so I'm very looking for evidence-based things. And um, I just started taking more and more classes and eventually really healing myself and my stress and my body, and then I started teaching others. That's the executive summary. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, because, you know, going from being an attorney into being training people for mindfulness is quite a transition. Yeah, well, there was a there was a gap in there of being a full-time mother and just doing volunteer work, not doing lawyer work, and it was the full-time mother piece that blew all my circuits. And if there's any moms listening, I I imagine you can relate. Yeah. So, what's kind of your core mindfulness teaching practice? Well, so they're mindful self-compassion practices. It's mostly um, loving kindness meditation, mindfulness in daily life activities, which is anytime you're paying attention to what you're doing when you're doing it, it it adds up to your brain health. So I know that you know, because I've seen on your podcast that we're wired to worry and ruminate, but your audience might not have seen some of those other podcasts. So friends, we are wired to worry and ruminate. So don't beat yourself up over that. It's okay. That's how we're wired. But in today's life, it's helpful to not worry and not ruminate, to not time travel to the past and the future and to be right here, right now, paying attention to what you're doing. And we have to actually train ourselves to do that. And when we do that, it helps our mind, body, spirit. Yeah, and it seems you know, very hard without practice to stay in the present because, you know, we get into these tasks and things that we do 
and tend to, you know, autopilot. And like you're saying, you can't do that. You need to stay present and not just, you know, wander off into your thoughts. Right. And then when you are present, sometimes the thoughts and feelings and emotions are difficult to manage. And so that's my lane. I help people manage difficult emotions. You're not going to need my help if you're feeling happy and joyful, but you are going to need my help if you're feeling anxiety, depression, grief, anger, fear, all the things that we feel on and off all day long. And I help people figure out how to pause so that they can make a skillful uh, response instead of a snap reaction. Yeah. So how can we do that? You know, if we want to, obviously, in those moments, we get very overwhelmed, we get very, you know, charged and energized and very, like, it's very hard to shut down. What can we do? Right. So I don't recommend that you shut down. I recommend that you shift and you use this acronym called SNAP that I actually created. So when you feel, now you have to know that you're feeling it though, right? You have to know anxiety is arising, fear is arising, sadness is arising. Usually we know. Snap your fingers. The first step of snap is snapping your fingers. And then it's soothing touch. And I'll take you through soothing touch. And then name the emotion. And then act. And then praise. And I can break down each step for you. So um, so if you're listening and you're not driving, let's say follow these instructions. Put one hand on your heart. And really feel the warmth of your hand on your heart. Now, put the other hand on your heart. So you now have two hands on your heart. And just take a moment here to feel the warmth of your hands on your body. Now move one of those hands to your belly. The other still on your heart. Okay, now both hands on your belly. Now take both of your hands and cradle your face as if you were like a little tiny person and you're saying, oh, cutie, cutie, like that. <laughs> it's hard not to smile when you do that, right? <laughs> and then give yourself a hug, like your two hands are on your biceps and a little bit of a squeeze, like I've got you, I've got you. And then you can even do it like you're crossing your arms underneath your chest, if you're a lady underneath your boobs and you can kind of like give your rib cage kind of like a compression with your hands. You can also put your hands on your thighs and just push down towards your knees for a minute to just feel yourself on yourself. That sounds really weird. And then the last one is just hold one hand in the other. Now ask me, why do this? Say, Julie, why do this? Okay, Julie, why are we doing this? <laughs> it's the mammalian caregiver response. And when we do this, we are going to create a cascade of feel-good emotions in our body. Those feel-good emotions are oxytocin and endorphins, and they are going to downregulate or counteract the cortisol and adrenaline that we feel when we feel activated and go into fight, flight, freeze because of our primate brain. So the very first thing we can do for ourselves is soothing or supportive touch. Supportive touch, soothing touch, same concept. Seems like male gender, like supportive, 
instead of soothing. So we say both things. If I'm teaching a class that's largely men, which I've never done, there's usually just one or two or three, um, I'll say supportive or I'll say soothing and supportive, whatever. The idea is you want to help yourself calm down. Okay, so that's the S. Now, naming the emotion. You've probably heard name it to tame it. Feel it to heal it. Have you heard that? I haven't, but those are good. Okay, they're good, right? I didn't make them up. Name it to tame it. So you want to name the emotion because when you're naming it, you are creating more distance from it. So, oh, that's anxiety coming up. Oh, that's fear coming up. Oh, that's sadness coming up. And while you're naming it and creating some space around it, you're giving your prefrontal cortex more time that's behind your forehead to come online so that you can make a more skillful response. You need like maybe, I don't remember exactly, honestly, a dozen seconds or so to get that part of your brain online. Like when you see people enraged, you know that they are just flying away with their amygdala and they are not, they're hijacked. Their brain's hijacked. They're not thinking. They're just in it. So we want to step out of it and help ourselves. So now with soothing touch to help ourselves, right? We've named it to help ourselves. The next thing is the A in SNAP is ACT. And I have hand motions that go with all these to help people learn it, like when I'm teaching um, either on video or face-to-face. And the first part of ACT is, what do I need to hear right now? So this is a mindful self-compassion question. What do I need to hear right now? And if I'm afraid, I might need to hear that I'm safe. And if I'm feeling grief, I might need to hear this won't last forever. And if you get the idea, so whatever it is that you need to hear right now, tell it to yourself, tell it to yourself. And then the second part of act is what do I need to do right now? And that's going to depend on your joy list, what's available to you in that minute, where you are. I mean, if you're driving your car, you're not going to be able to take a bath or make a cup of tea, right? But you might be able to do a couple rounds of breathing in for four and out for six. You might have a here and now stone in your car with you and you might be able to feel it, touch it, or be wearing a mala or a rosary nearby or whatever. There might be some other tool that you can choose of your 30 tools in your toolbox that will help help shift your mood and get you, snap you out of chaos and into calm. And then The P is praise, and that's where you say, good job. Good job for managing that whoosh of whatever it was. Good job. And you can thank your teachers. You can thank your deity if you have one. So that's snap in a snap. Yeah, and I mean, it's quite a lot to, you know, we went over it very well. I think, like, the soothing and supportive touch was very easy to do. Like, I did it along with you the whole time. It's very easy and it does have like a very specific draw where you're like, oh, I do feel the warmth of this. Uh I do feel the pressure of this. Like it's very clearly like, yeah, I can feel that. That's easy. You'd kind of said like going into this, do you actually snap? Like, is that your trigger to like start doing these things? Well, um, yes. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I do. And and I um I created this because I wanted there to be a somatic component and I wanted self-compassion to be front-loaded and I wanted to help people downregulate what was going on. So there's other practices that are taught to in mindfulness classes to try to help people, but none of them have all of this tied up in a little package like this. So yes, I do snap because it makes me smile and just smiling shifts my mood. Sure. Well, and it's a good, like, you know, a trigger to say like, oh, time to do our things. Uh huh. Like if you snap, even if you do it, like I do snap subconsciously, I'll just do that from time to time when my hands are empty. That is an interesting, like, oh, now it's a trigger to, like, help, you know, soothe myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so Snap's the title of my new book. And it's so interesting because um, this book is just to push this practice out into the world. I want everybody to start doing it and teaching it to their friends and family. That's what I want. So my first book, Life Falls Apart But You Don't Have To, Mindful Methods for Staying Calm in the Midst of Chaos, has way more content in terms of mindful self-compassion tools and toolbox. And it's also taught with stories because I really think people learn well with stories. And that's been vetted by science also, that people really learn and remember when we use stories to tell, besides the fact that I just like stories. Um, So SNAP is also filled with stories, but they're stories showing how these situations, how SNAP applies and taking people through SNAP in each one of the little vignettes. Yeah. Nice. So then you had said, you know, we name this because we need everything, like you said, to kind of come online and that takes a dozen seconds. So there is kind of this like overlap in there where you realize, hey, something is going on and this is what it is. So that like the S and the N in Snap kind of start to happen in the same time period, right? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it depends how long, I mean, yes, you're absolutely right, because you can still have your hands on your body where you find it soothing while you're naming. Oh, this is grief. Okay, what do I need to hear right now? And I've still got my hands on my heart. Oh, sweetheart, this is tough. This is the price of love. You'll get through this. It's going to be okay. It's not going to be the same but you're going to survive. And then what do I need to do? You know, I need to walk out in nature. I need to make a cup of tea. I need to call my best friend. I need to cry, but please, I don't want to cry for six hours. I'd like to cry for 15 minutes and then listen to a song that makes me happy. You know, these are all toolbox things. So it's important that what I'm saying is not to bypass the bad stuff, but to manage your mood. Well, and I think it's good. Like, you know, I think these things can happen in the same time period because in that 12 seconds, you just, if you're aware, you're like, I have 12 seconds before I'm actually going to be in a place where I can deal with this. Like you now have something physically, you know, you can do to support yourself and to bring yourself into the moment. And then you're like, okay, I am definitely sure now that I am fully online that I did name the correct thing and I'm ready to start acting. You said something so brilliant, even though you're supposed to be dumb. 
So <laughs> in your title, what you just said was so brilliant because there's sometimes so many emotions that come up. And if that happens, name every single one of them. That'll take you even longer, but name every single one of them. And also, um, another really smart thing that you said um, leads me to the statement that we are powerful. You know, we actually, if we're, if we're armed with this information, we can use it and keep our power to manage ourselves. And then when we're managing ourselves better, we show up better and then we bounce off of other humans better. And then we kind of raise the bar for humanity because we're not a jerk. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, definitely not being so, you know, emotionally charged and flying on instinct, like makes us better humans. And the longer we do that, the better everyone else around us becomes and hopefully start picking up the same practices. You've seen those people in public, right? And you know, they're hurting and you know, they're hijacked. I know some of those people very well. (laughs) And they do typically later. They're like, why am I acting like that? Like, Oh, how embarrassing. And then they have to add like shame and embarrassment. Shame's much stickier, but they, you know, they've acted out and then they have shame piled on that they then have to forgive themselves for. It's just a mess. It's a very downward, sticky, messy spiral. Yeah. So in looking at this acronym, the next part is A for the act. It seems like it is either the hardest or the easiest part because some of that, like voicing what you need to hear, seems very difficult to me because. I'm going to be feeling like I'm lying to myself in some way if I'm not, you know, in the best of places where I'm like, this isn't going to last forever. You're going to be okay. Things are whatever it is. Some of that seems very hard for me to voice for myself. So, okay. You really are super smart. (laughs) So, (laughs) so this is your um, inner compassionate voice. So you're saying that you, may have difficulty or some of your listeners may have difficulty accessing their inner compassionate voice. Of course, of course, but it's the voice that you have when you're talking to a dear friend. So if you, let's say, are feeling anxious and you don't know what you need to hear, you can imagine that it's your dearest friend having those feelings at that second and what you would say to them is what you turn around and say to yourself. And eventually you can get into the habit of that voice sounding comfortable coming from you to you because you are worthy of hearing it. Yeah. I think that is definitely like, it's the thing that I do. I am very, I'm always there and supportive for my friends and the people around me, even strangers. Mm -hmm. I can be very supportive to a person on the bus, but I do have a very hard time like doing that for myself. And I don't know if that's very common or if I am just kind of a weirdo. No, it's very common. There's an entire institute and therapy genre called uh, internal family systems that is designed by Dr. Schwartz 
and he trains psychiatrists and psychologists, and there's even lay books written on your inner critic. The whole thing is to help us make peace with our inner critical voice so that we can find our compassionate voice so that we can treat ourselves kindly. So no, you're not alone. You're completely normal. Oh, good. Because the other part of ACT seems very easy. Your toolbox. Where you're like, yeah, what what can you do? What are you? What do you need to do right now? Like that right. seems very easy because I can be pretty proficient at distracting myself with, you know, another task. Right, and those distractions, if they bring you joy, are skillful. I mean, that's the name of the game. You've got control over it. Do it. Make yourself happy, and then when you're feeling happy, don't. Don't waste it. Really let it land in your body so that you rewire your brain. What wires together fires together. So you want those positive moods to turn into neural bridges so that you have a happier brain inside your head. Yeah, that's a very another very good saying right there. But in acting, should it be something that brings us joy and not just something that like in the moment needs to get done where you're like, Oh, I need to mow the lawn. If you don't enjoy mowing the lawn, you're like, no, I need to go take a shower because a shower relaxes me. So um, that's a really good question. Again, I have to say, so I suppose it depends on how bad you feel. If you don't enjoy mowing the lawn, but you'll get a sense of satisfaction after doing it because it actually needs to be done. That's enough. Mow the lawn. If you're really feeling like crap and you know a shower is going to lift your mood, go for the shower. The lawn can wait. Gotcha. So kind of, you know, in doing all these things that like, you know, recognizing you know your physical touch and all these other stuff, like recognize where on the scale you are. You're like, exactly. Is, is this very bad or are you just, you know, mildly off put by what you're The other day I was just feeling cranky and I don't know why. Um, and I knew I was feeling cranky. I was feeling just a little bit anxious. And I, I said it to my husband. I'm like, wow, I'm just a little off today. I'm a little anxious. I'm not exactly sure why. And I had stuff that needed to get done, which I did. And then I just made a plan that he and I would take the dogs to the park and walk through the park. And it just completely shifted me. Now, I could have done a lot of different things. But I, I chose that tool because I knew it would help me. That's my power. It's also nice for the dogs. But, you know, getting outside in nature is really healthy for us. Yeah, of course. Like, there's a, a wide difference between the air inside and the air outside and feeling sunlight versus, you know, a light bulb. Exactly. And the, the air on your skin. And there's this um, one practice that I teach that I love called a sense and savor walk. Um, it's from the mindful self-compassion curriculum, but they took it from some other place that I can't remember where they took it from. So sorry. Um, but I took it from them and I can, because I'm a certified teacher of that. So it's kosher that I took it from them, but how it works is, is you have people go outside for 15 or 20 minutes and open up all their sense doors and maybe they're doing them one at a time and then they're opening them all up. So it's what they can hear and what they can see and 
how the air feels and how their body feels moving in space. And it's just fantastic. And I do it a lot when I'm just walking. Nice. So then the last part seems pretty easy, but also like very easy to forget. Praise. Yeah. Where you're kind of saying like, Hey, good job self. Because I think that's another thing. Like I don't normally do for myself is to say like, Hey, good job. As I'm like sitting in a room by myself. (laughs) But see, that made you laugh. So it's so good. So when I first started calling myself sweetheart, I just would crack up because I, I don't think I'm that kind of person that could just like say, Julie, sweetheart, that was really tough. And every time I said sweetheart, I laughed, which is also excellent, right? So no, you know, you deserve to thank yourself for managing your own stuff. So don't forget to thank yourself and people that, um, you know, I have this enormous Facebook mindful methods for life has a big Facebook presence, right? There's like 80,000 people on there. And so the, the posts every day are usually just like those little quotes. They're just little inspirational, happy quotes. You would not believe the amount of people that thank God or Jesus on there. I mean, it makes them so happy and I'm so happy for them. So the, praise piece if you are a practicing whatever flavor of religion it is if you use that then you get even more joy good way to kind of double down on it yeah i'm all for like double triple any bangs for your buck that you can get go for it yeah and you know we kind of talked about earlier you also do a guided meditation podcast as well Yeah, and it's so nice, and it's free, Um, and I read a poem at the end of every one, and because I started writing poetry, sometimes the poems are mine. Usually they're famous poets, Um, sometimes they're obscure poets, sometimes they're alive poets, sometimes they're dead poets, but it's really fun, and those, those meditations are just completely extemporaneous. I hold a Zoom class every Wednesday morning, and they're the meditations of those 25 people that are in my Zoom. It's what they're hearing, and it's recorded on my phone, on voice memo, and then I send it to a person who's talented, (laughs) and she puts it up on the podcast with the poem and notes and has music behind it, and it's just lovely, and every single one of them is going to be a compassion meditation in some way. Not necessarily straight loving kindness meditation, but it's going to have you breathing in and breathing out love in some way. Because science has shown that when we practice loving kindness meditation or compassion meditation, it makes us more altruistic. And so it's a bang for your buck thing. Like I just said, you know, you might as well raise the bar for humanity while you're doing it. Yeah, that's very interesting because that's what I was going to ask is, you know, is there an overlay between meditation and what we're learning? Yes. Yes. And meditation, honestly, is probably the biggest tool for you to develop the pause and for you to develop the awareness of what is going on, thoughts, feelings, emotions in your body. That's how you get there. It's by meditating. Do you kind of have tips for people who are 
say, beginner at meditation that help them, you know, kind of break into it? Because I know from experience, it can be kind of hard to start doing, especially if you're not like going to a class or anything like that. Sure, sure. Um, so I just, I recommend putting in earbuds and just pushing play and being guided. And if you are good at visualizing, do a guided visualization. It'll take you on a journey. Um, also, I don't recommend open awareness for beginners because it's hard to watch your monkey mind changing radio stations. And that's what your mind's going to do because you're a primate, right? So it's helpful to have as many prompts, like not just your breath at the beginning, if you're a beginner. It's helpful to add a word or a phrase to your breath or a body sensation to it. Meditation is just anchoring your awareness on whatever the teacher is asking you to anchor your awareness on, right? And then when your mind wanders, ooh, my ankle hurts. Oh my God, I forgot to get milk. Oh, I'm supposed to do something on the way home. Bringing it back to the prompt. Oh, I'm supposed to be breathing in love and breathing out peace. And then a couple minutes later, it'll be like, is my left foot sleeping? What was the conversation that I just had? And then it's bringing it back to the prompts. I'm supposed to be doing this and I'm supposed to be doing that. And eventually, you stay on those prompts longer. But don't think that you're going to blank your mind because minds don't blank. You know, people say that, oh, I can't blank my mind. Well, of course you can't blank your mind. Don't be silly. Whoever said you could blank your mind? But I think some meditation teachers think that or they act like that or I don't know. I was at a um, in Berkeley at the Nyingma Institute at a Buddhist retreat and the teacher was so unbelievably cool because I asked him because they didn't have any prompts. You just sit on the Zafu, on the Zabaton. It's like a dog bed with a circle. And you're sitting there, and they don't say a word. And then, you know, 45 minutes goes by, and they ring a chime. And you're like, what the hell was that? And so I asked him, what was going on in your mind? And he was like, I need to pick up orange juice. I didn't finish that memo. You know what I mean? Like, he told the truth. And I think it's really important for people to hear. And then he went back to the breath, which was his prompt. And then yeah. his mind spun off and then he went back. And, you know, John Kabat-Zinn says it's like doing reps for your brain. When you realize that your mind has traveled away and you bring it back, that's the work right there. Yeah. I mean, certainly like the first time I'd heard meditation and you know, I, I was obviously, I think, pretty young when meditation was starting to, like, come around my area or my circle or whatever it was. That was kind of the thing, is they're like, oh, yeah, you can sit and think about absolutely nothing. Yeah, wrong! And I was like, oh, interesting. And so, like, that's where I tried to get to the first couple times, and I'm like, man, I'm really distracted while I do this. Yeah, yeah, and way to set yourself up as a failure, hello. Right. <laughs> the other thing I have a problem doing, and I don't know if it's just me, but like if I relax too much 
especially like I've tried guided meditations before. If I relax too much, I will fall asleep no matter what position I'm in. (laughs) So there's a few tricks for that. One of them is if you're laying on your back to put your your hand up so that your arm is like at a at a 90 degree so that when you fall asleep your arm falls down it'll wake you up that's what we do like when we're on retreats and we're laying on the floor um but you know i have people fall asleep all the time when i'm teaching meditation because they're tired and i think the self-compassionate thing is to take a nap Sure, that's a good way to act too, right? <laughs> like, yeah, I'm gonna take a nap. Yeah, I needed a nap. Interesting. Yeah, the other one that I've always kind of wanted to do, and I know it's not directly on topic, but I didn't know if you'd heard of it, was a silence retreat. Oh my god, I love that. I'd love to do it. I have absolutely no free time for that, but I do love the thought of like, yeah, you're going to go to this retreat. And for just seven straight days, like, you're not going to talk. You're not going to make noise. Like, Okay, so let me tell you the truth about it, because I've done it a couple times, and I love it. <clears throat> you're not actually silent. You're mostly silent. They're usually like 45 minutes of sitting meditation, and then 45 minutes of walking meditation, and then 45 minutes of sitting meditation, and 45 minutes of walking meditation. And they kind of go like that during the day. But then there's... Dharma talks, if it's a Buddhist retreat center, which are like lectures. So the teacher's talking and they take questions. So if you have a question, I always have a million questions. Then you're talking because you're asking a question. You're not kind of chit-chatting with the person next to you, but but you're asking your question and getting an answer. And then if you have a question for a teacher, you can write the question and put it on a bulletin board And then they'll see it and they say, meet me in room 507 tomorrow at three o'clock. Okay, so then you can actually be chatting. And then also, if it's um, certain retreat centers, you have a job that you have to do. Like I was in the kitchen. I don't recommend the dishwashing job, but I didn't get the chopping vegetable job that I really wanted because I didn't get on the property early enough. So when you're doing a job, You're not supposed to necessarily be chatting, but people actually do. You know, can you hand me that? Can you, you know, can you reach that? So it's way more quiet than your normal day-to-day life, but it's not like zip your lip, you're completely quiet. Gotcha. Yeah, I had read a article years and years ago about a guy who went to one because he was reporting on it. I think he was just like, you know, a standard print reporter. And so he's like, yeah, I went for seven days. He's like, and after day two, he's like, I had some kind of breakdown because he's like, I'm not, I'm not ready for this much meditation. He's like, and I found myself acting like my inner child. He's like, I'm out in the woods. I'm swinging a stick like it's a sword. I'm leading a, a campaign across the area. Like, he's like, I'm getting into, you know, this weirder stuff. He goes, but eventually like that brought me to this place where I wanted to keep trying, you know, longer and longer meditations. And when he came back, he's like, I was just so used to not talking that I found myself listening to people more. Well, that's cool. It sounds like in the middle there, he might have needed a little psychological support, though. (laughs) It's not um, recommended for people that have certain mental health issues either at all. So they screen out. They try to screen that out because being alone with yourself in silence... um, you can 
have a bad time. Sure. If you have mental health issues that really need more support. Yeah, it is kind of, you know, if you could manage your own issues internally with, you know, minimal effort, like it's probably a great time. I love it. I personally love it. Um, I mean, I have a husband and kids. If I was not responsible for somebody, I would do a month long. They have month long silent retreats at some of these places. I would adore it. The only bummer is, is that, that, and I break these rules, so I'm not going to get in trouble because I never said where I was and they wouldn't get me, give me in trouble, get me in trouble anyway. But I, you're not supposed to do like writing and reading and I break those rules. Because you're like, I just need something to occupy this dead time. Because I don't really like being told what to do and I want to make myself happy. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not hurting anybody if I'm writing and reading in my own room at night. What a rebel. Right, I am a rebel. Oh my God, I wrote an essay that's so funny about being at a different retreat center, um, one up in Colorado, because I kind of got in trouble from for writing in the lunchroom because I guess it was distracting to people seeing me writing. And I thought that was ridiculous. So I wrote a funny piece on it. There you go. Any kind of misconceptions you can think about in any of these practices, be it you know meditation or this mindful self-awareness or compassion or anything like that? misconceptions. Sure. Sometimes people think, and there's research on this on um, Dr. Kristen Neff's website. Sometimes people think if they're, if they treat themselves with compassion, that they'll be lazy or that they won't achieve the heights or they'll cut themselves too much slack. But actually research has shown that people that are nice to themselves, that are compassionate to themselves, try more things because they know that when they fail, which we invariably all do, that they can be a friend to themselves. So they actually achieve more, not less. And that was a good question. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I don't know if this is even true, but I anecdotally had heard that like, if you have told yourself you're doing a good job or if someone tells you you're doing a good job, you're 10 to 30% somewhere in there more likely to continue doing things like that. So in the same way, if you are kind to yourself trying new things, you're more likely to try new things. Winner, winner, chicken dinner, exactly. That's common sense and it's true. Nice. All right. Well, I think we've given people a lot to think about and a lot to uh, kind of sit and ruminate on. And maybe some people are going to try some silence retreats. That would be very fun. Please let me know how it goes. But also, I wanted to give you some time to kind of let people know where they can find you and the things you do in your books. Thank you. Um, So if they go to my website, everything's on there. And the website is mindfulmethodsforlife.com. I'm sure you'll put it in the podcast notes. And in the website, you can find not only my books, but all my teachers' books and their websites. And if they have a newsletter, their newsletters. And um, a whole bunch of interviews 
and my free guided meditation podcast and all the blogs. And it's just a really nice one-stop shop resource center for people that want to help themselves find equanimity, maintain balance. Yeah. Well, and they're not just finding, they're not like, oh, well, I really want to get into this, but Julie's my only resource. You're like, no, I also have my teachers and other people in this space. Like, yeah. you will every, grow. Every book that I have read that I think is really helpful, whether they were my teacher or not, is on my website. If it helped me, I put it there. Yeah. And if people listen and they enjoy any of the things they find from you, if it's your books, leave good reviews on Amazon. If it's the podcast, leave good reviews on iTunes, especially iTunes. They are the pickiest of the bunch. Um, <laughs> but Spotify has a very quick and easy way to do it. You just literally, you've listened to one episode. There's a button at the top that has stars. You just click it and click five stars. And that's an easy way to help other people find these things if they don't hear our discussion here today. Excellent. Well, I have appreciated your time immensely. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. So great to meet you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast. If you enjoyed it, please take a brief moment to rate the show five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or Audible. If you really liked it, remember to subscribe for more episodes every week and check out the now over 100 episode backlog. Let me know what you'd like to hear next by reaching out and emailing me dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com, or by sending a message to me on any of the social media pages, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever else. I'm always looking for new topics, guest ideas, and questions from the audience. The updated February rankings are as follows. Number one, the United States, with Texas, Oregon, and California all still as top states. Number two, Australia, still led by Victoria. Number three, the United Kingdom. Number four, Canada, with Ontario back as top province. And number five, New Zealand. That's it for today. I'll see you all Thursday. Bye bye